0: Hello, this is Garth from The Lost Cabin in rural Massachusetts. I've tuned my Somerset receiver to 1180 kilocycles. I'm sitting for a breakfast of grapefruit, cod cakes, bacon, and fresh hot coffee. I want you to sit back and listen to part one of a three-part series about a ghost town in Massachusetts that's experienced many curious lives. A story that covers war, piracy, murder, witchcraft, sea monsters, a prolonged demise, and an inspirational birth. We think you'll really enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Lost Massachusetts. We hope that you're enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you listened to the last episode about Wood End in Long Point, Massachusetts, and maybe you'll find yourself out there someday exploring it. So if you like the podcast and you want to support it, there's a number of ways that you can do that. The first way you can do that is by subscribing to it. So if you're listening to the podcast through an application on your computer, on your phone, you can subscribe to it, which means two things. It means that you will get the new episode as soon as it comes out, And the other thing is that other people can see that there are subscribers to the podcast and they can see how many there are. So if they think that lots of people are listening to the podcast, they might listen to it themselves. You can also give feedback. You can rate the podcast. Hopefully you'll say something nice about it. You can also tell a friend about the podcast. Forward it on to people who you think might be interested in the topic. And then we're also going to have... Some fun ways that you can experience the podcast outside of listening to it. And I've talked about postcards and other ways to uh, to generate interest in the podcast and share information. And there'll be more details about that as we move on. For this episode, we're going to be traveling up to Cape Ann, which is sometimes referred to as the other Cape in Massachusetts. Now people in Cape Ann may not like that description. They also probably don't like Cape Cod being referred to as the Cape. And this of course feeds into the North Shore, South Shore rivalry in Massachusetts. They're both awesome. But I do have one distinction to make, which may cause some people to unsubscribe from the podcast. I actually think the seafood on Cape Ann is a little bit better than the seafood on Cape Cod. Now, I'm not saying that the seafood on Cape Cod is bad. I'm just saying that I prefer some of the places on Cape Ann uh, to the ones on Cape Cod. And that's going to make some people mad. I'm aware of that fact. the subject of this episode is a good one for many reasons. One, it's going to help us introduce the very concept of ghost towns. It's also a place that is accessible, easily accessible, and it's a great place for hiking of people of all skill levels. And there are a lot of things in the area in general that are really interesting to see. It's a great vacation spot, and we hope you enjoy it. Okay, I am in the car, and I am about to head out to Route 128. I'm driving on the winding back roads of Massachusetts, on my way to the on-ramp for Route 128 North. And now I've merged uh, into the... Traffic on route 128 and I'm not going anywhere. I'm looking at an ocean of red brake lights every once in a while The car in front of me will lurch forward a few feet and then I'll move forward a few feet The person behind me moves a few feet and then we wait again Talk about being lost in Massachusetts Route 128 in Massachusetts is a curious road. In 1927, it was just a collection of local roads called the Circumferential Highway that ran from one beach community on the South Shore to another beach community on the North Shore, making a loop around Boston. At that time, there were only 22 million cars on American roads, but that was up from seven million 10 years before, and there were more and more cars coming all the time, with about 4 million being pushed out of factories every year. Starting in the 1950s, 128 became home to some of the world's busiest and most well-known tech companies. This was the birth of the modern post-war digital age, and 128 became known as America's tech highway. Throughout the decades, Route 128 also became kind of an unofficial border between Boston and the rest of Massachusetts. A strange dividing line that you either existed on one side or the other. People refer to places as being inside of 128 or outside of 128. For anyone who's driven on Interstate 95 through Massachusetts, you'll notice that a strange thing happens. Interstate 95 disappears and you'll find yourself on 128. It's almost as if you're on a phantom road and you wonder how you got there. Maybe you turn on the radio to listen to a traffic report, but even the local traffic reporters are referring to the road as 128 instead of Interstate 95. You'll also notice that you'll probably be sitting in traffic. But we're not interested in this part of the road. We're taking the road to its end where it leads to another phantom place, a phantom place called Dogtown. If you've never been to Cape Ann, you may have heard of Gloucester, Mass, from the real life tragedy that became a best-selling book and film about the perfect storm. Or you may trust the Gorton's fishermen, headquartered in Gloucester, and yes, it's spelled Gloucester, but it's pronounced Gloucester. If you have been to Cape Ann, you might have gone to one of Gloucester's beaches, or you might have walked up Rockport's bearskin neck to restaurants and quaint seaside shops. But there's a hidden Cape Ann, a mysterious wilderness outside of the coastal ring known as Dogtown. So, I'm here with Stephanie, who is a native of Rockport, Massachusetts. Is that correct?
1: It is. Actually, not technically, because we moved from New Jersey when I was in third grade. So, in Rockport, you're considered a native if your grandparents were were there and and your grandparents so you have to be three generations in Rockport to be considered a native, but
0: but you were you were a kid and a teenager yes. plus here, yes. yeah. Was it a, was it a happy it childhood?
1: Was completely idyllic, and in a way, um, even now when I go back there, it's like almost coming home because I my parents have passed away, but Rockport, in a way, for both me and my sister, it will always be home and it's such a unique place to grow up that people sort of form a bond coming from Rockport
0: Hmm. and
1: still sort of look like look after each other and take an interest in each other you know decades after they've left
0: so it's a it's a really close community it is uh, a very very, uh, uh, important community identity
1: yes it's very it's it was so small i mean we didn't have a single street light everybody knew each other Uh, Nobody locked their doors. Um, My mom was a single mom and a working mom, and I was just collectively everybody's kid. And Mm -hmm. so what that meant was um, being at my Girl Scout, you know, leader's house for whenever I wanted to go. it, It meant that you could go down to Front Beach in the summer without a parent, and just sit with this circle of mothers and be and know that you were looked after and it meant like if you were outside after the street lights came on, someone would call your mother and let them know that you were still out. Um, There was also, because I'm old, there was an operator so you could call, just dial zero and talk to a local Rockport operator and literally be like, I'm looking for my mom. And the operator would be like, I just saw her at Richdale. She's in the office. Let me connect you.
0: Okay, that's amazing. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we've got, we've, got, uh, we've got the beaches. We've got the nice downtown with lots of ice cream and candy shops and lots of activity. You've got historic districts. There's a lot of interesting things to see here. Are there, are there any parts of Rockport that people were afraid to go to? things that they told maybe, told the young people, don't go over there, especially at night.
1: So there were, um, there was a murder when I was, I want to say in like fifth or sixth grade and it was um, famous because it was really the second known murder to have really taken place in Rockport and the the one prior I think had been in the late 50s or 60s. Um, And a couple was murdered in the woods by Dogtown, so um, that was sort of scary. There was some kind of cottage, and it was, I think it was a double murder, and it was a pretty big deal. Um, So that was really the, I think Rockport was almost known for a lack of scary places to go. But Dogtown, that area, I think, especially when I was younger, you tended to stay away from. And then there was um, a horse farm near the high school that had a horse graveyard that you could get tricked into going down um, Charlie's farm, going down that path too much and finding yourself at the horse graveyard and some boy would try to convince you that you were looking at horse bones so then he could, you know, comfort you.
0: Well, so you've got you've got one place, the horse horse uh cemetery that's yeah, sort of cemetery. sort of spooky. But then you have this other place that sounded like it may have actually been dangerous. So, what what was this Dogtown place? I
1: actually don't know as much about Dogtown as I should, but what I do know about Dogtown is that in the 1800s it was a religious like almost like a religious sect that created their own um they created their own little town and they separated themselves out from the town of Rockport and, um, and they kept to themselves and it was called dog town. I think, cause after it was abandoned, there were a lot of dogs, like stray dogs there for a while, but it's very unique because you can go, you have, it's. you kind of have to walk through the woods to get to it. But when you get there, you see the old house foundations and they're kind of in a circle around what was the town center. And they also, um, they carved, like, Proverbs from the Bible and Scripture from the Bible into these rocks, and that's still sand, so it's like, it's a fun hike, but it does sort of have um, an air of mystery about it, just because you can f- feel that that was a, a deeply meaningful place to, you know, to people from long ago.
0: Would you call it a ghost town?
1: You know, I, Yeah. I would. I think um I don't think it's a ghost town in the way that you think of like a, a movie like a movie set ghost town, but it it is a ghost town in the sense of that you feel you feel like the presence of something spiritual that can only come from something being deeply meaningful to people.
0: Have you heard anything about buried treasure there in ghost in Dogtown?
1: I haven't. Have you?
0: Maybe. What's your favorite thing to do in Rockport?
1: My favorite thing to do in Rockport is to go to the quarries. Um, They are... Rockport was famous for its granite industry in the 17 and 1800s and even up through the early 1900s. And so now when you go into the woods sort of behind Rockport cuz Rockport there's a there's lots of parts of Rockport that aren't um you know that aren't streets it's just there's a lot of woods and in these woods are these these different quarries and so we grew up sort of diving and swimming in these quarries and then as I got older we would go up you know after work um and and hang out and have bonfires and kind of party up there and they're so peaceful and unusual and so that I would say is definitely one of my favorite things to do in Rockport and then I, I also think just always brings a certain comfort.
0: Absolutely that was great information <laughs> I really appreciate it and thanks for taking the time to talk to me.
1: Sure thank you for taking the time to ask me some questions about a place I love deeply.
0: There were quite a few curious points in that interview that we'll discover more about. But first, let's talk about the concept of a ghost town itself. How's it even spelled? Is two words, one word, or a hyphenated word? I'm not sure yet. A clear definition of ghost town is also elusive. Some might call the ancient preserved city of Pompeii a ghost town. Others use the term to describe parts of a modern city with minimal activity or dwindling population. For our purposes, we're really talking about American towns from the last 200 years that were abandoned by their residents. And some say that these places are literally haunted by ghosts. And we can't talk about ghost towns without discussing Phantom Road. It's a paved over colonial road, which is itself part of an ancient footpath called a trace. As for ghost towns, I have to recount a website from years ago that helped me with my interest. Now rolling back time to the late 1990s, I had an interest in the odd, strange, unusual, and general history, and I had read a series of books By a New England author named Joseph Citro And he wrote a lot of ghost stories But he also mentioned in his books Very specific places in Massachusetts That I didn't even know existed Namely ghost towns So in my efforts to find out more about these places One of the first websites that I came across Was ghosttowns.com And uh, this was very exciting. It was very exciting for a number of reasons. One was that there were towns in New England that were abandoned that you could still go and see. The other thing that was interesting about it is that they had very limited information on the site about these places because the guys who ran ghosttowns.com lived out west. And they documented the multitude of ghost towns in the western part of our country. There are many more of them out there than there are here. And because of that, because of the limited information, they were looking for more feedback. They wanted people to go check these places out, submit new ghost towns, get information, and take photographs. So I set about looking into these vague, mysterious places all over New England. If you go to ghosttowns.com now, you can actually still see the photographs and entries that I put in from any of these places. One of the first places that I went to was a town called Hill, New Hampshire and Hill had been abandoned because of constant flooding. And each year in the early part of the last century, 1920s and 30s, the town got flooded more severely and more often. And the Army Corps of Engineers actually moved all of their houses. But what you can do is you can go down the old Hill Town Road and you can climb over a fence and you will see ...sidewalks, foundations, sewer pipes... ...you can actually see the layout of an entire town... ...but just with no houses on it. Another place in New Hampshire that I photographed... ...is called Monson. Monson's slightly different history. There was a massacre there. The people who lived in that town were all killed. And another place in Vermont called Ricker Basin which is actually part of a state park in Vermont called Little River State Park. And this town was abandoned for pretty much a similar reason as Hill. Uh, too much flooding, too much water. It really wasn't a sustainable place to live. So of course these you know, explorations, they often involved hiking, Sometimes they involved camping And they weren't always well documented These weren't places that were specifically preserved People knew about them But you had to go dig up your own information And you basically had to wander around inside of these places To see what they were all about So I would be very excited to collect the information Take photographs and submit them to the website Now all of this activity got me a certain amount of fame and fortune. Several years after starting this hobby, I was contacted by a journalist at Woodall's, The Complete Guide to RV and Campground Lodging Rentals. So Woodalls isn't so much of a magazine as it is a directory of places in North America where you can camp, rent RVs, rent lodgings. It's actually a wonderful guide. But in this issue, in their 2008 issue, they fronted it with a comprehensive review and guide to ghost towns in North America. And the Kathy Williams, who was the author, contacted me and interviewed me and asked me for permission to use some of my text and photographs and I was more than happy to do so. I will place uh, some of this material in the blog so you can see it. One of the photographs I took of a cemetery in Ricker Basin is used in the article. Ricker Basin, Vermont was once a thriving community of approximately 50 families. In addition to homes, the town had a school, a church, and some grist mills. Although the population declined, the town remained settled into the 20th century. Flooding of the Little River in 1927, and again in 1934, contributed to the declining population. And by 1960, it was completely abandoned. Now part of the Little River State Park, only one complete house remains, the Almiron Goodall Pal place. Home and mill foundations, a cemetery, chimneys, and many farming artifacts can be seen. And actually, as I was hiking through this area, I found all kinds of rusted pots, rusted farming equipment from the previous century, in addition to the cemetery and cellar holes. Really interesting stuff. But also information in this article was pointed towards Dogtown, Massachusetts. Dogtown, Massachusetts has a colorful history. Located inland between the coastal towns of Rockport and Gloucester, The town was settled in the late 1600s. The women of the town were often left alone while their menfolk took to the seas. Many kept dogs for protection and company, which were later abandoned to roam in wild feral packs, hence the name Dogtown. Although the land was not good for farming, the town grew because its inland location gave some protection against pirates and enemy ships. As these threats were removed, farmers began to desert the town for greener pastures, and their abandoned houses were occupied by iterants and vagrants. The details described here are sort of thin, and they actually cover a period of several hundred years, which could lead to some confusion about historical events. So these events and their effects have to be drawn out. So unlike some other places that we've discussed, Dogtown's demise didn't come from a single cataclysm, a single event, a single dramatic change. It was a long, slow shift that made the place more haunted. This is Garth from The Lost Cabin. We will return to Dogtown for part two in October to unravel its darker secrets. Our next episode will take us along the old Boston Post Road to a very forgotten place that many probably want forgotten, but should be remembered. So until then, remember, it's always 1928 somewhere. Hey, if you like the show for some reason, there are lots of ways you can join the fun or get a hold of us. You can message Lost Mass through the podcast apps on Anchor. There's a voice option. Or you can go to lostmassachusetts.com and subscribe to our blog. Or use the various methods there to contact us. If you go to lostmassachusetts.com, you can also sign up to get a postcard from a lost place. And find out where to send us a lost postcard, too. Also go to Lost Massachusetts at uh, Instagram for photos and other details. We will do our best to respond to comments uh, directly uh, as well as within the show. You might hear um, your own comment. That's fun.